Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. What's up, guys? Uh, I tell you what, I had a pretty tough time getting enough content for a show this morning. My news aggregator was so obsessed with Taylor Swift's new music announcement, Miley Cyrus beating her, sports news. It was damn near impossible to find something of value to share with you from the weekend. Um, But you know what wasn't impossible to find? A great deal of the day from my partner in Palmetto State Armory. Today's deal is a PSA Gen 3 AR-10 complete lower in 308 with free shipping for only $199.99. Click that link in the show description and start your build today. Uh, The U.S. government does not care about you. If you thought it did in any way, shape, or form, the Senate bipartisan border security bill should absolve you of any altruistic notions that you may have. This bill is 370 pages and is titled the Emergency National Security Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2024. It would appropriate $118 billion in total with $48 billion in aid to Ukraine during its war in Russia and nearly $16 billion to aid Israel during its conflict with Hamas, as well as fund border security reforms with the rest of it. <laughs> the latter reforms include more funds for the hiring of new immigration judges to expedite the processing of asylum and deportation proceedings as well as law enforcement operations to detain and remove foreign nationals currently present illegally in the United States. A key provision in the bill in Title IV is the creation of an emergency authority. I, I don't really like that, by the way. Creation of emergency authority to summarily remove foreign nationals who enter the United States illegally without standard removal proceedings under Title VIII. If the week-long average of such entrance increases to over 5,000 persons per day, which I'm pretty sure we're already there, this summary removal requires requirement expires only once the two-week average number of illegal entries decreases to 3,750 people per day. This provision has proven to be controversial among Republicans who responded to its disclosure ahead of the bill's release and have argued that it would not meaningfully reduce illegal immigration. Like, think about that for a second. They're like, oh, well, you know, 3,750 people a day is way better than 5,000 people per day. (laughs) The bill imposes caps on the number of days in a calendar year that the emergency authority may be exercised. Even more controversial, the bill would appropriate $723 million to hire more Customs and Border Protection officers 
and Border Patrol agents who provide frontline border security and law enforcement, as well as $534.68 million to hire more U.S. Immigration Customs and Enforcement Special Agents who are responsible for arresting and removing illegally present foreign nationals. The bill would also invest nearly $4 billion into U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, which adjudicates all asylum claims and would support the hiring of 4,338 asylum officers to process these claims. Asylum officers, furthermore, would be granted new authority to provisionally adjudicate claims for asylum at the border, as opposed to the current practice where an applicant is released into the country and given a notice to appear later, sometimes years after arriving. But I just told you guys last week, the statute is that these people should be detained and they should go through the actual proper proceedings for claiming asylum. Giving asylum officers the freedom and flexibility to just go ahead and decide, you know, whether or not their asylum is valid, I think, I just think that's a massive mistake. U.S. CIS asylum officers would be empowered to conduct interviews at the border and initially determine whether someone is eligible for asylum according to new and stricter standards, with those deemed ineligible being placed in removal proceedings. Migrants are approaching the border and being processed and released into the country, sometimes with a piece of paper called a, quote, notice to appear where they may see a judge in five, seven, ten years, no one knows, because they don't ever show up. Our law changes that and ends the practice of catch and release, says Independent Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona. So when people approach the border and say they want to enter our country to seek asylum, We actually do an interview right then and there to determine whether they meet the standard for asylum. Yeah, I'm going to call bullshit again. This should have already been the case with those current laws on the books. I think you probably need to define asylum a little less broadly. I'm broke and I need money to send back to my country of origin is not a legitimate claim for asylum. A well-founded fear of persecution for race, religion, nationality, or political political opinion and the home country government being unable or unwilling to protect you and being denied asylum in every single country that you pass through prior to arriving at the United States is the current criteria. None of that is being followed. Apart from reforms to combat illegal immigration, the bill contains several measures to reform legal immigration, which has been demanded by both Republican and Democratic senators alike. The bill would authorize 250,000 new immigrant visas for lawful permanent residency, known as green cards, to relieve the long backlogs currently facing many foreign national applicants who are living legally in the country. 
in a major concession to the children of such persons known as documented dreamers, who normally age out of their parent status after residing in the country for most of their lives, the bill allows them to temporarily remain in the United States if they have resided in the country for eight years before turning 21, pending the grant of permanent residency. The bill would furthermore grant immediate authorization to foreign fiancés and spouses of U.S. citizens to work in the country as well as grant permanent residency to certain Afghan refugees who evacuated Kabul in 2021 and are presently in our country. Could you imagine if you were an immigrant who went through the proper channels and processes, you forked out all the thousands upon thousands of dollars, hours of time to immigrate legally? God, man, I feel bad for those guys. A quick reminder, don't forget that more than half of the money in this bill is going to foreign countries. I haven't forgotten. It just doesn't talk about it very much. (laughs) Um, We reached an agreement on the bipartisan deal. Anytime I hear bipartisan, I get sick at my stomach. That includes the toughest and fairest set of border reforms in decades, wrote Joe Biden shortly after the bill's release, indicating he would sign it into law. I urge Congress to pass this bill immediately. So, just to be clear, I want to recap this with you guys. No amnesty or legalization of anyone already in the U.S. illegally. Funds an increase in ICE detention capacity to approximately 50,000 from the current 34,000. At a seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters per day, or 8,500 encounters in a single day, DHS is required to shut the border down and turn away anyone who crosses. No new asylum claims will be allowed, and anybody crossing will be removed. So to end the whole idea of, I made it to U.S. soil, you have to process me. That would be over. Border Patrol would not process the illegal crossers. They'd be removed. No asylum claim permitted unless it's made at an actual port of entry. This does not mean 5,000 are allowed in before this authority kicks in. Single adults would be detained. Families would be released via what's called ATD, which is alternatives to detention. And asylum cases would be fast-tracked to months rather than years under this new rapid expedited expulsion system. Those who fail would be quickly removed from the United States. Again, I don't believe this, but okay. Those who initially pass would be released with the work authorization and 90-day supervision until final asylum claim is determined. The shutdown authority doesn't drop until crossings decrease significantly in the days following the shutdown. Significantly tougher asylum requirements and a higher credible fear standard, including three bars to eligibility. Number one, criminal history. Number two, could they have resettled in another country on the way to the United States? Number three, could they have resettled somewhere else in their own country? Just saying you're scared to return home will no longer be enough in an initial interview. It appears that the legislation would move asylum claim decisions away from immigration judges, as I stated before, and instead have them be handled by USCIS. 
$1.4 billion in additional FEMA funding available for disbursement to the NGOs and municipalities. We talked about that last week. Some of that money doesn't unlock until key border security metrics are hit with ICE detention beds, ICE and Border Patrol new hires, and at least 1,500 deportation flights. ENDS use of parole releases via uh, Customs and Border Patrol 1 app and ENDS parole for illegal crossers between points points of entry. Keeps humanitarian parole as it was originally intended, so medical procedures, court cases, etc., and keeps the current Biden administration parole program in place for Cubans, Haitians, Venezuelans, and Nicaraguans. 50,000 new U.S. Visa ho- visas over five years. Funding to hire hundreds more ICE deportation officers, Border Patrol agents, and UCS, USCIS asylum officers. Greatly increases the number of deportation flights. No unaccompanied minors can be removed. And some of these minors will receive their own attorneys, either pro bono or taxpayer funded. It ends some catch and release, but not all. Families and unaccompanied minors will not be detained. They will be released into the United States. DHS has 90 days to set this new system up before it takes effect. There's a provision in the bill that would allow the president to suspend the shutdown authority it says it authorizes the president to suspend the border emergency on an emergency basis for up to 45 days if it's in the national interest. The border has seen at least 5,000 encounters almost every single day for the last since Biden took office, essentially. If this bill were signed into law, the border would likely be shut down on day one. Um... Right now, the status quo is when the border's overwhelmed, just release everyone to the United States. This bill shifts that to when the border is overwhelmed, remove everyone. So it will be interesting to see how this all plays out. It's, I mean, the bill is terrible, especially with all that foreign aid inside of it. And it's my understanding that multiple uh, Republican House representatives have said this is dead on arrival, including uh, Speaker Mike Johnson. So I don't think that this is going to make it into any sort of law. But uh, stranger things have happened. All right, so none of this gets to the root of the cause of the issue, and it's no wonder illegal immigrants are flocking to America in droves. They're getting billions of dollars a year in benefits that most Americans couldn't afford even if they wanted to. A recent New York Times report found that the average American would have to earn $300,000 a year to afford all of the benefits that are currently being given to illegal aliens. That includes healthcare, education, transportation, housing, phones, legal aid, free tuition, etc., Stephen Camarota at the Center for Immigration Studies has done similar research. We've estimated that if you just look at welfare programs, excluding other types of services, you're looking at more than $40 billion a year that illegal immigrants are getting. Camarota's research has previously found a majority of illegal immigrant households in the United States utilize welfare 
or public assistance programs. The biggest is public education. There's about 4 million children of illegal immigrants in public schools, though many of them are U.S.-born, admittedly. It's costing a minimum of $70 billion a year, while public education and healthcare are the biggest expenses associated with illegals. All of the other benefits add up quickly as well. If you provide illegal immigrants with housing, food, legal services, and health care, that's an immediate cost. And the money has to come from somewhere, says Camarota. That somewhere is the pockets of American citizens. Every dollar any city spends on housing and health care, food, and other assistance to illegal immigrants is money they don't spend on their own citizens typically the low-income citizens who need help the most. But please, talk to me like I'm five. Tell me again how we need to spend all this money to save money rather than just immediately deporting them. I, I'm ready. Tell me how it works. Uh, this week is the World Defense Show in Saudi Arabia and is heavily focused on the future. Hundreds of defense firms from dozens of countries are set to descend on Riyadh next week as the second ever World Defense Show kicks off, offering a glimpse into what the kingdom sees as the future of defense. It's the only campaign stop that Nikki Haley can win on. Uh, We're hoping for a much bigger and better show this time around. This time, WDS will be heavily focused on the future of defense, as I stated before. We're going to showcase, they're going to showcase, what the defense landscape might look like in 2030 and beyond. This was uh, WDS CEO Andrew Percy. And... He said WDS represents a unique opportunity for international firms to get access to the Vision 2030 program, how they can get involved in the industry, and there will be lots of partnerships announced during the show between international companies and Saudi local companies, Percy told Breaking Defense. Vision 2030 is a sprawling government-wide push by Riyadh that began in 2016 to modernize the nation and become the global investment powerhouse in the defense trade. And that means luring in foreign investments, making more partnerships with foreign defense firms, and crucially, mandating a significant amount of domestic production for defense articles. Under this vision, Riyadh's local defense conglomerate, Saudi Arabian Military Industries, or SAMI, was founded in 2017. What's important to the kingdom is to achieve the Vision 2030 50% localization defense production within the kingdom itself, Percy said. Among the countries participating in the show for the first time is Turkey, which will make which will be making a large appearance. Turkey's participation is unsurprising since Turkish firm Baykar signed a large contract with Saudi Arabia in 2023. Companies from Qatar, I wonder if uh, Bob Menendez is going to show up to represent. Kuwait, Bahrain, Oman, uh, Australia, Denmark, Azerbaijan, Taiwan, Colombia, Croatia, and Ethiopia are also all making their first appearance. 
Russia's Rosoboron export said ahead of the show it'll be putting on Russia's single exhibit, but one double the size of Moscow's presence in 2022, and that will feature products from more than 20 Russian firms. The state organization said it plans to display armored vehicles, Orlan unmanned aerial vehicles, as well as transport aircraft. We see great interest among representatives of the armed forces and law enforcement agencies of Saudi Arabia and other countries of the Middle East in the latest battle-tested Russian defense products. Rosborn Export Director General Alexander Mikhev said in a release that uh, and China, meanwhile, will also be there, including reportedly planning an air show for attendees. This year, WDS will have several new features, including the Future Defense Forum, the Journey to the Future display, and the Defense Space Arena. Journey to the Future will involve an Artificial Intelligence Guide, or AIDA, Artificial Intelligence Defense Assistant, to usher visitors around the show, pointing out the newly launched defense systems and debuted platforms. Oh, good. They're working on making the computers kill us. This is going to end really well for us, I think. Percy said that the show will be an opportunity to get international participants involved with the Saudi market through the Meet the KSA government feature. Meet the KSA government is open mainly for international exhibitors to come and really understand how they can get into the Saudi market. So they'll meet the General Authority of the Military Industries, or GAMI, who will do a presentation and explain how the international firms can get involved in the Saudi market. In what has been discussed mostly as a hypothetical and meme fair, is now confirmed that scientists are working on a plan to cool the earth by blocking the sun, which is, of course, a Simpsons episode. Scientists are exploring a wild idea to stop, up, stop our planet from overheating, sending umbrellas to space to block the sun's warming rays. They're ready to put the idea to the test, as the New York Times reports a team led by Asher Space Research Institute physics professor and Technion Israel Institute of Technology director Yoram Rosen claims it's ready to build a prototype. But there's one big problem. The shield has to stretch an area of roughly 1 million square miles or about the size of Argentina. Since that's far too big of a structure to launch into space on a single rocket, Rosin and his team are proposing a scheme in which a swarm of smaller shades are launched into space where they'll work together. Uh, if you have ever watched the movie, um, gosh, it just totally slipped my mind. Hang on a second. Sorry, I literally had to pause and go look it up. <laughs> um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think it's the second movie. Uh, this actually happens. They're virtually controlling these little uh, drone type things. And they, pr they push out this shield that 
that's what this reminds me of. I swear to God, this is probably where they got the idea from. Anyway, um, we can show the world, look, there is a working solution. Take it. Increase it to the necessary size. The idea has technically been around for decades, as I said a minute ago. Instead of fully blocking out the sun completely with a giant parasol, researchers have suggested we only need to block anywhere between 1% and 2% of our star's radiation to mitigate the effects of global warming. Last year, a team of scientists from Harvard and the University of Utah explored the idea of placing dust at a Lagrange point between the sun and the earth to overcome climate change. A different team suggested using actual umbrellas tethered to an asteroid to achieve the same effect. However, a sunshade would only be part of the solution as the earth's atmosphere would still be trapping heat in the form of greenhouse gas emissions. Not everybody is on board with the idea. Critics told the New York, New York Times that a sunshade would be incredibly cost prohibitive and unrealistic, given the pace at which global warming is accelerating, if you believe that sort of thing. That's not to mention the beating such a shade would have to be able to withstand while exposed in outer space. Proponents, on the other hand, argue we should leave no stone unturned in coming up with solutions to climate climate change. Rosin and his team are now looking to secure anywhere between 10 and $20 million to build their prototype. Oh, just 10 or 20 million taxpayer dollars? Just say death to America and I'm sure we'll allocate tons of money to you. We at the Technion are not going to save the planet, but we're going to show that it can be done, he said. In another, it was hard as heck to find good news stories. A paper published in the journal Analysis by Ian Radu Motoraka. Motor, Motoraka? I don't an associate at Ashman Law Offices in Illinois reported that extending voting rights to animals would merely be extending practices that are already in place where certain governments permit the enforcement of animals' legal rights through representatives. First, the system of animal voting I'm envisaging would be would involve appointed representatives casting votes on behalf of animals. For example, there are already representatives for children or people with mental disabilities. Yeah, they're called parents. You dumb fucking person. They're already... Oh my God, man. According to Motarka, animals should have the same luxury. The idea that animals should have the right to vote sounds preposterous to most normal human beings, Accordingly, most authors who have touched on the issue dismiss it in a few words as obviously absurd. However, I will argue that we can understand this idea as a natural outcome of our fundamental democratic commitments. Consequently, I believe governments should recognize a political right to vote for at least certain categories of animals. To give animals voting rights would be to follow all the affected interests principle. 
This principle goes by the understanding that anyone who is affected by the policies of a government should, in theory, have a say in that government. If you are a supporter of democracy, as opposed to some other political arrangement, like, I don't know, a constitutional republic between fucking humans, and if you really reflect on the best reasons we have for including or excluding certain categories of beings from our democratic community, because they can't think, or speak for themselves, think about the historical treatment of minorities in the political process. It's not going to be easy to exclude animals from the community. I can't believe I'm even reading this to you guys right now. Otherwise, of course, there might be independent reasons why giving animals voting rights is a good idea. For example, it may contribute to a decrease in animal suffering. Hence, if you think animal suffering is bad, then a decrease in suffering would be a good thing. While the idea may still be absurd, Motarka noted that governments did not always allow basic voting rights to many people, including women and slaves. Let's go back to that. It's called Repeal the 19th, and I highly recommend it. The study said there would have been what seemed like obvious justifications at the time. A lot is going to depend on how exactly such a proposal is implemented. For instance, who will be acting as animal representatives? I think it would be important to maintain neutrality here so that the representatives would be neutral persons who do not have any particular axe to grind and can assess the scientific evidence rationally. Even if complete neutrality is unlikely, that would still be the ideal standard. Another important area of future research is what to do when the interests of various groups of animals are in conflict because a policy may benefit some while harming others. Those are going to be tough decisions, but it doesn't mean they'll be impossible to make. After all, legislators vote on policies that benefit some groups of people while harming others all the time. Yet usually Americans, they vote on policy that harm Americans. This is quite possibly the dumbest thing I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, I, I just can't believe that there are people like this that exist in this world. And I, I just, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for, for the knowledge that someone like this exists. To close out the show, Joe Biden has suggested supermarkets should defy the laws of supply and demand to lower soaring prices that threaten his chances of re-election. There are still too many corporations in America ripping people off, price gouging, junk fees, greedflation, shrinkflation. Y'all, that shrinkflation is no fucking joke. There have been two examples just this week alone where I have seen, like, here's my box. Here's how much, no, here's the box. Here's what I bought and paid for. Here's how much it cost. And the amount of food that comes out of that box has diminished significantly. Um, Americans, we're tired of being played for suckers. And that's why we're going to keep these guys, keep on them and keep those prices down. White House aides told the New York Times that Biden was taking aim at supermarkets and that more is to come. 
a 16% rise in the cost of eggs, milk, and other staples over the past two years has put pressure on many Americans who have complained that they're struggling with the cost of living despite a strong overall economy. But prices in supermarket aisles have been turbocharged by inflation, soaring demand, and supply chain issues, none of which store bosses have any control over. A recent poll showed that 35% of U.S. adults call the national economy good. That's an uptick from 30% who said so late last year, and up from 24% who said a year ago. Uh, That's an improvement, but it still remains lower than Biden's already low approval rating of 38% in the same survey, with prices still too high and the president desperate for a solution before having to face voters in November. It remains unclear what the grocery chains can do given the underlying factors like avian flu influenced a rise in egg prices, the price raising by manufacturers on things like soda and candy. While Biden remains aware that prices are too high, it seems he has a very little solution within America's system but to complain about it to the retailers who are facing higher profit margins themselves. Despite the economic anxieties of large-majority Americans, 65% still call the economy poor. If you've been following me on Twitter for any period of time, you know I've been doing my inflation receipts experiment. I just recently posted an update where inflation is still trending at over 12% on three items, bread, milk, and hamburger, on top of everything else that has increased. And the sustained increase of the cost of food has been incredibly detrimental for the average American family. I think at peak, we were at 28% increase on food. So we're still at 12%. I started this experiment in October of 2021. We're going on three years of sustained prices like this. And so like the economy doing great, what does that even mean? To me and every other average American in the country, it doesn't mean jack shit. We see what we're purchasing when we go to the store and when we're purchasing the same items that you've been purchasing for three years and it's still outrageously expensive, that is the economy to us. That That is how we measure how well the economy is doing. And I know you guys are so disconnected in Washington away from the average American I'm letting you know that you can say the economy is strong, the economy is great, the economy is performing well. You can say it so many times. You can say it until you're purple in the face. But we still go put gas in our cars and we still go buy groceries. We still pay our utility bills. We still pay all of the things that we're paying that are incredibly inflated from a pricing perspective. And so when you tell us the economy is doing well, we don't believe you. Because we see it with our own eyes, what we're experiencing. Anyway, that's the end of the show. My end of my rant. (laughs) I love you guys. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you have a great Monday. And I will be back tomorrow. Thank you so much. Have a great night. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.